Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Royals 10, the Cleveland Indians 5. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And I'm sorry, did, did anybody else have deja vu on this one? Did we not just do this the day before, where the Indians score first, the Royals come back on our starter, score a bunch of runs, the Indians scratch and claw their way back into the game, and then the bullpen blows it late in the game. We literally just watched this in the first game of this series. And now we're watching it again last night. And uh, once again, rough day. Rough day for Indians pitching. And great job by the top of the uh, Kansas City lineup. Even the, even the steps in Kauffman Stadium taking Salvador Perez out of the game couldn't slow them down. Cam Gallagher just comes in and you know to back him up and goes two for two with an RBI. You know, just two for two. Uh, so, yeah, so even getting Perez out of the game doesn't make a difference. The top of their lineup continues. In fact, their entire lineup contributed yesterday. Even Ben Attendi, who didn't have a hit, the only Royal not to have a hit, had a walk and a run scored. So, literally the entire Royals lineup got in on the act. And when you score 10 runs, that's usually the case. Now, uh, over on the Indian side of things, I got to say, their entire offense also got into the act. Uh, Jose Ramirez didn't have a hit, but he did have a sack fly RBI to get that first run across. Everybody else had a hit on the board. I mean, it was 11 hits apiece for both teams. So both offenses were doing things, but my God, the Royals offense just took off in that seventh inning and buried our bullpen. Absolutely buried them. So uh, that is actually the top story of this game. Uh, Plesak somehow gives up five runs in the first two innings, and it hangs in there. Ends up going six innings, giving up seven hits, five runs, three walks, two strikeouts, and a home run allowed, 97 pitches. He is hard hit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 times. How the hell... Did Zach Plesak hang around this game for six innings? I mean, I just, I, every time I checked the radio or checked my phone, I, you know, I checked the game, I couldn't believe that Plesak was still in there. I'm like, what is he, what the heck is he doing in this game? But somehow he hangs in and gives them length, uh, does a good job of letting the Indians get back in this game, letting the Indians tie this thing back up at 5-5 after the fifth inning. And, uh... I mean, just getting hit all around the ballpark. That is a ridiculous amount of hard hit balls off of him. Wickering comes in to pitch the seventh, and this thing just blows up. So uh, they score their first three runs on Salvador Perez home run. His uh, his 48th, that's right, 48th home run of the season to lead Major League Baseball and to tie the Royals franchise record. Um, so that's how they get their three in the first. They then rally for two in the second. Uh, how'd they do it in the second there? A leadoff double by Michael Taylor, Kyle Isbell singles, and then a double by Whit Merrifield. So that's how they put together their runs. But then in the seventh inning, off of Nick Wickren, gives up a double to Nicky Lopez, Cam Gallagher with a sack bunt, Andrew Benatendi on a fielder's choice, Carlos Santana would then walk, Hunter Dozier would triple, and then Hunter Dozier would score on a uh, on a wild pitch 
both Plesak and Wickren had two wild pitches apiece. So that is how they do it. They put together a nice rally off of Nick Wickren. And uh, going over to the illustrator here, Wickren really struggled to throw strikes in this one. He only puts four pitches in the strike, or five pitches, I'm sorry, five pitches in the strike zone. Uh, three sliders, two of them were fouled off. One was put in play by Nicky Lopez, his leadoff double. Uh, Hunter Dozier's changeup was in the strike zone. And then uh, he throws a cutter to Michael Taylor that turns into an out. So anything that was in the strike zone was hit. He missed with every other pitch, really struggling to throw strikes. Garza, who came in after him, was able to throw some strikes, but he also got hit around for two more runs in the next inning, in the eighth inning. So, uh, yeah, and for Plesak, uh, looking at the illustrator here, he was able to get the fastball in the zone, but he wasn't working all four quadrants. He seemed to be up a lot with his pitches. Even the changeup was up. Even the slider was up. Yeah, there were a few at the bottom of the zone, but he's not really filling up the strike zone here. Really working a lot of stuff up. And that's probably not good when your slider and curveball and changeup can't get anywhere down around the knees. That really makes an easy hitting day for hitters because they can keep their back straight and they can really turn on some balls. Uh, going over to the player breakdown here, were any pitches working for him? Not really. His highest CSW on any pitch was his changeup at 22%. That's not good. That's not going to cut it. Um, yeah, and they averaged a hard hit ball off his fastball. They averaged a hard hit ball off his changeup, both around 95. And then they averaged a hard hit ball off his curveball. The two they put in play, they averaged 100.5 miles per hour exit velocity on that. So they were hitting everything hard except for his slider. His slider has a below a hard hit average, a 77.4. Although it looks like there might be a bunt in there at 27.5 mile per hour exit velocity. So either someone caught one off the end of the bat or laid down a bunt on a slider. And that kind of threw off the average exit velocity there a little bit. So yeah, I mean, Plesak, nothing. There's nothing that was really effective for him. He threw the fastball a ton, 51 times. But nothing was working. I'm I, frankly, of all the starting pitchers, I'm most worried about Plesak going into next season. He just, he just doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to be dominating. Doesn't seem we we talked about how Plesak. You could tell from his body language, he wants to be an ace. He wants to be one of these elite guys. So we'll see what kind of work he puts in in the off season and how he comes back. He started the year strong. It felt like. But it just hasn't been there. He just hasn't been able to dominate on the mound the second half of the season. Uh, every time he goes out there, it feels like a struggle. Speaking of struggles, Nick Wickren. We got to talk about Wickren and we got to talk about Brian Shaw. Because both of these guys absolutely blew up at the end of these Royals games. Nick Wickren's his percentile rankings in MLB are awful. Are absolutely awful. Awful. I saw Tristan McKenzie defending Nick Wickren on Twitter. And yeah, it's true that, I mean, Wickren has had some good games. If you look at his game log, he'll have some really great games. He'll really shut things down. He'll pitch in any situation. But if you look at his percentile rankings, the numbers don't lie, unfortunately. Average exit velocity, he is in the first percentile. He is the worst in baseball when it comes to average exit velocity. Expected weighted on base percentage, 13th. 
Expected ERA, 13th. Expected batting average against, 6th percentile. These are bad. You don't want to be at the bottom of these things. These things are ice cold blue on his percentile ranking chart. Expected slugging percentage, 4th. Barrel percentage, 6th percentile. His walk percentage, he gets up to the 74th percentile. His K percentage is in the 53rd percentile. So he does limit walks. He can strike out a guy or two. His whiff rate is actually in the 53rd percentile. But yeah, everything else is just buried. Absolutely buried. For Brian Shaw, it's a little bit better. Average exit velocity is in the 51st percentile. Um, His expected weighted on base percentage, 33rd percentile. Expected ERA, 33rd percentile. Expected batting average, 34th percentile. Those are bad. Those are really bad. Uh, That means he's given up a lot of hits. Uh, His expected strikeout percentage, 35th percentile. Walk percentage, 16th percentile. Not striking out a ton, giving up too many walks. Uh, That's bad. That is really, really bad. So, yeah, Brian Shaw a little bit better than Nick Wickram, but still in the bottom third of the league in a lot of these categories. Now, if we go over to uh, baseball reference here, and we could take a look at the, these guys compared to each other. Brian Shaw has a 3.57 ERA. Nick Wickren has a 5.14 ERA on the season. Oof. Uh, Shaw has pitched almost 14 more innings than him. Uh, let's take a look at some of the plus. I love the ERA plus. Always a great indication because you can compare them to the league average, right? League average set to 100. Brian Shaw is actually better than league average this year. He's at a 123 ERA plus. I am shocked that that is a plus number. Uh, Nick Wickren is at an 85 ERA plus. Uh, fielding independent pitching, they're both over four. Uh, Shaw's at 4.51. Wickren is at 4.86. That's not good. Remember, that number is designed to look like an, like an ERA. You want that to be a low number. Fielding independent pitching. Walks, hits per inning pitch, the whip. This time it's reversed. Shaw is actually higher at 1.388, and Wickren is at 1.255. These aren't good. Hits per nine, 8.1 for Shaw, 8.8 for Wickren. That is way too high. Way too high to be using late in the game, you know, in the seventh inning guy. Uh, Home runs per nine. Shaw is up at 1.2. Nick Wickren is at 1.9. 1.9. That is bad. That is really bad. Uh, The only other one who's really doing that bad is uh, Trevor Steffen is up at 2.2. Of all the everyday relievers, that's the highest is Steffen. Some of the rookies, JC Mejia and Logan Allen, are also at 2.2 and 2.3. But those guys are more starters. Uh, a little bit different situation there. Uh, then uh, looking at their uh, walks per nine, Shaw's up at 4.4 walks per nine. That's really bad. Wickren's is manageable at 2.5. Strikeouts per nine, not high enough. Not high enough. We need a dominant bullpen. We're built around the strikeout with this pitching staff, and it just hasn't been there this year. 8.4 strikeouts per nine for Shaw, 9.0 strikeouts per nine for Wickren. So, yeah, it is It is not, uh, man, these guys to be used late in the season like this, I just don't know. I just don't know if uh, this is guys that we want back. I, I don't know if, 
Let me take a look if I could see uh, what their salary is right now and what they're going to make coming back this year. So Brian Shaw, remember, signed, I think it was a minor league contract. He's here on like a one-year $100,000 contract. He is not making much money, and he is a free agent at the end of this season. So there's a very good chance Brian Shaw could just disappear, just walk away after this season. Nick Wickren, we actually have him for one more year of arbitration. He's still in his arbitration years. He made $2 million this year. So there's a chance that Nick Wickren is probably, it'll be interesting. That'll be one of those situations where they don't have to offer him a contract. They could just let him go, not offer him a contract, and use that 40-man roster spot for somebody else. Uh, There's a real chance they make a decision like that. They did it last year. They've done it before where, you know, even though you're technically under contract with the Indians and it'd be an easy contract, it'd probably be around about the same money, $2 million. Is Nick Wickren worth $2 million to you, right? You could just say, no, we're not going to offer a contract. And then he's free to go look. I don't know. Do you want either of these guys back next year? Remember, remember, you're going to have some guys coming back. You're going to have Karinchek coming back. Karinchek's been working on things down there in uh, AAA. It seems like things are going better for him down at AAA. So Karinchek will be back in a late-inning role. Remember that you have Nick Sandlin, who's been on the 60-day IL. Sandlin was really good. He had a 2.94 ERA, a 1.129 whip, a 2.95 FIP. And a 150 ERA plus. Sandlin was really good before he got injured. And you're going to have him coming back next year. And do you go out and find some new relievers? Is it time for some fresh faces in that bullpen? Is there anybody out there? And you can load up on those, you know, invites to spring training with a, you know, with a minor major league option. You know, invite to major league camp. You can load up on those guys and see who comes out of the fray. You're going to have Anthony Ghost next year in a late-inning uh, situation. So you're going to have Classe, Karinchek, Sandlin, and Ghost to pitch the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. Those are four really good hard-throwing pitchers right now. It, I, I know we have a lot more to see on Anthony Ghost. It's been four and two-thirds of an inning. We have a lot more to see out of him. But... Does Henches and J.C. Mejia get roles in the bullpen? You still have Trevor Steffen. I just, I'm actually, I would be okay if maybe Sean Wickren weren't here next year. It just doesn't seem to be working. Uh, I mean, it was working early. It works at moments. I just, I think we could do, I think we could do better. I think we could put together a stronger bullpen next year without them. Uh, so yeah, so they had a wow. We talked a long time about pitching. Let's talk about uh, the hitting in this game for a little bit here, because Salvador Perez hits his 48th home run, and we gotta talk about this. I mean, sets the Royals franchise record, has hit a ton against us, and uh, if you go to his pitch chart here and look at the illustrator for him, all his home run locations, it's all over. Most of it is up, uh, you know, above the knee. One pitch he went down and got. A changeup off of Zach Davies, he went down and got. 
um, below the knees, below the strike zone. Everything else is from the thighs up, which isn't surprising. There's definitely a clustering that are down in a way, that are belt between belt and thighs and away. He likes to extend his arms on these. There are not many home runs hit from the inside part of the plate. And what did Zach Plesak throw him? I can find it here on the Illustrator. That's how clear it was on the replay, on the highlight, exactly the pitch location. I can instantly find it on the Illustrator. It was a 93.8 mile per hour fastball on the outside edge that he hits 113.4 miles per hour, 400 some feet to dead center field. Let's go over to the uh, scoreboard here and get the exact distance for you on this record-setting home run, 439 feet. So, yeah, I can find the exact location there. And, uh, yeah, that's his nitro zone, kind of out in a way, out over the plate. That is where he launches them from. And what's interesting is you would think with, you know, taking outside, not outside pitches, but pitches down in a way, you would think he would lift a lot more home runs to the opposite field. It's actually not the case. I would say over half of his home runs were pull home runs. So for a guy who likes it down and away, he gets the barrel of the bat out there and still pulls it and drives it in the left field, a lot in left field. He did sprinkle a few in center, sprinkle a few in right center, and sprinkle a few down the right field line, frankly. Um, so it is a fair spray, but he is definitely a pull hitter. Um, even for his singles and his doubles, he's a pull hitter. So, yeah, it's an interesting location of where his home runs end up when he's going down and away for so many of them. So he gets them on the board early in this game, the three runs, like we said. And, man, the Royals, we, they let us crawl back into this game and then absolutely bury us in that seventh and eighth inning. For the Indians' offense, it's a decent offensive day. Once again, Miles Straw with a hit to lead off the game. Man, that is fun to see. Unfortunately, it'd be his only hit on the day. Um, yeah, there were some good moments offensively for the Indians. Ahmed Rosario's double, uh, turns into, uh, an RBI situation. Uh, they'd score in the first, the third, the fourth, and the fifth. So they really crawled back into this game, scoring in three consecutive innings there. And that's nice to see. Uh, Ahmed Rosario's double would drive in that run. Unfortunately, that's where the rally would end. Um, then in the uh, fourth inning, we get back-to-back-to-back singles from Yu Cheng, Owen Miller, and Austin Hedges, but that's when that rally would end, and then it's uh, Yu Cheng again in the fifth inning. Yu Cheng has been Mr. Clutch lately. He, after uh, back-to-back singles from Fermil Reyes and Harold Ramirez, Fermil Reyes with a hilarious full count infield single down the third baseline how many infield singles are you going to see from Fran Mio Reyes he just chopped this one and nobody was ready for it nobody was playing him in or anything like that so it just dies in the grass there but then Yu Chang comes up with a big double into the right center field gap that's his spot man when he's going there he is going good and uh, Chang has really really come up with some clutch hits uh on this season. In fact, let me see if we could take a look. I know baseball reference does have like some clutch numbers here. So let's go to his 2021 season and uh, take a look at his splits and see what kind of clutch numbers uh, baseball reference gives us. I don't know. What do you think? Has Yu Chang earned uh, a spot in your 
2022 Guardians. Over the last 28 days, he's hitting 266 with a 689 OPS. Um, so, I mean, that's not spectacular. Over the last 14 days, or last two weeks, he's hitting 353 with a 977 OPS. So, definitely been red hot over the last two weeks. Um, yeah, let's see. For the month of September, yeah, for August and September, he's been doing really good. So for August, he was 323 batting average with a 1.235 OPS. He's cooled off a little bit. In September, with a 284 batting average and uh, a 777 OPS, he hit 280 in July. He's really put together a nice second half of the season. Um, come on, where are these clutch numbers? With runners in scoring position this year, he's hitting 333 with an 888 OPS. That is in 54 at bats, 57 plate appearances. That is some good batting average numbers with runners in scoring position. I will take that. With two outs and runners in scoring position, he's hitting 348 with 1,000 OPS. In late and close games, he's hitting 323 with a 977 OPS. Uh, yeah. Let's see. High leverage situations here. He's actually better in high leverage situations. So this is something that. Um, you know, a lot of these things will break down leverage indexes and things like that. You know, basically this type of situation that this batter is in. In low and medium leverage uh, situations, he's like a low 200 hitter. But in high leverage situations, they account 35 plate appearance of his as high leverage situations. He's a 364 hitter with a 1.036 OPS. That's incredible. That is a Yu Chang, man. When the pressure is on, apparently this guy is coming through. Runners in scoring position, high leverage situations. I'll take that. I'll take that from a utility, from our probably our utility infielder next year. It would make sense uh, if he's the utility infielder next year. He plays all four infield positions. I bet you could even throw him out on left field if you had to. Uh, so, yeah, that is pretty interesting from Yu Chang. And he comes up with the big hit in the fifth inning to tie the game here. Unfortunately, that's where the Indians' offense would sputter and uh, the Royals would run away with things. So, it's another tough loss for the Indians. Uh, it moves their record to 77 and 81, which means we have to sweep the last four games to have our 500 season, to prevent a losing season, which has never happened under Terry Francona. And even though this is under DeMarlo Hale, but Terry Francona is coming back next year, so all of this goes back on his record, which is bizarre. That's just bizarre. Uh, yeah, so, uh, man, it could be the first losing season under Terry Francona. All right, one last thing to talk about before we get out of here. I was having a fun conversation with my buddy last night. We got some burritos. We were sitting on a patio, and we were talking about this because uh, Royals media was all over the fact that nobody caught Salvador Perez's record-setting home, or record-tying home run. It landed out in center field. It was a restricted area, so Royals officials were easily able to collect the ball, authenticate it, give it to Salvador Perez. So, you know, they officially have the ball. Now, the one in Cleveland, the one that set the record for catchers, uh, that broke Johnny Bench's record, a Cleveland fan caught it. I'm pretty sure it was the guy with the big glove who sits out in center field in front of the bullpens. 
and he refused, no matter how much they offered him in memorabilia and things, he refused. I think there was some comment he made where he was like, I know how much money you make, and he, I think he wanted like thousands of dollars for the ball or something like that. Like he thought he, he thought he had just caught a lottery ticket. He thought he had just finally got the big scratcher, the big payday, and uh, was holding out and ends up leaving the ballpark before they can authenticate the ball, which means it's worth nothing, which means, you know, you can't prove that that was the baseball. Even if you prove you're the guy, you can't prove that's the baseball. So he gets nothing now and gets a memory, I guess. So we had the discussion last night, and I'm going to pose it to you, morning people. What would you request if you caught an imported ball like that? Whether it was the away team or the home team, what are you holding out for? I'll tell you what I this is. This is my list. This is my list. So they did offer him like a signed jersey. They offered him probably like a signed game used bat. Maybe not the bat in jersey used that day, but they offered him a signed jersey. I think that I think that would probably be the beginning. You know, that'd be fun to have whoever the guy who hit it have him sign a, an authentic game worn jersey. That'd be pretty cool. I remember my old boss had a, like a Peyton Manning autographed game worn jersey in his office, and he's not even a Colts fan, but he just respected the player, and I think he won it at like an auction or something like that, and had it up in his office. So yeah, even if it was Salvador Perez's Kansas City jersey, I think that'd be pretty cool to have an autographed jersey. I would definitely tell the Indians like, look. You got to hook me up with tickets for next season. If it was the end of the season, if this were the beginning of the season, sure. Okay. Hook me up with some tickets. I want fully loaded, behind home plate. I want the VIP treatment at least once or twice. Like, you know, maybe three times. Maybe can you squeeze three games out of them? Like, just set me up behind home plate, comp all the food and parking. Really give me like the first class experience. Then my final request would be let's go through the team shop. And I want a full outfit. I want head to toe. I want to, uh, you know, pick out a shirt, a hoodie, uh, maybe a jacket. I don't know, uh, a hat, you know, shorts, warm up pants, whatever. I want, I want a head to toe. You know, not too much, not too much. You know, maybe you know, two hundred dollars worth of merch. They can afford it. I that I think that would be my my offer, my counter offer back to the Indians to see or the, the Royals or whoever. Whoever was negotiating with, that would be what I would fight for. I think that's fair. I don't know. You let me know. Is that fair for to trade in the ball, to trade in the important ball? I think that's not unreasonable. Um, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I go with. That's, that's what I would negotiate with. So you think about it. I mean, if you want to, hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on uh, ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know what your, your request would be. What is it? Is it sitting in a loge? Is that, you know, is that your thing or, you know, tickets to, you know, I don't know. I don't know. A 10 game pass or something for next season. What would be your thing that you would negotiate for? Maybe it's your picture, maybe on the scoreboard, right? You want a big commercial, a big logo of you waving at all the fans up on the scoreboard every game next season. I don't know why. Hit me up with some ridiculous stuff. All right. Uh, so yeah, that's all my thoughts on this one. Uh, hopefully one day I will catch an important home run ball, and then you'll see me in head-to-toe Guardians gear. I'll have all the merch on. All right, before we get out of here, i got to remember to do MVP for the day, something I seem to always forget. And with the offense, offense spread around the way it was, 
I think I got to give MVP for the day to Yu Chang. I mean, he starts a rally in one inning and then he delivers the big hit in another. Like we said, he's been clutch and he comes up with that game tying hit. That was really big. So I think I'm going MVP for the day goes to Yu Chang. That's all my thoughts. Let's get out of here. Again, the final from last night, it's the Royals 10, the Indians 5. The best we can have now is a 500 season. You can follow me on Twitter, like I said, at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>